Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. After a couple-week delay, we are back for the first time in 2020. I am Mike Schaefer, and I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. Gentlemen, have you enjoyed the first few days of 2020? Yeah, it's uh, it's everything I thought it would be. Um, it, it's funny, like the 2020 was like the, the future. Um, you know, it felt so far in the future with flying cars and all that crap, but uh, no flying cars, so it's it's just okay, I think. There's drones, you- though. There's tons of drones in, in Nebraska. We can talk drones. Yeah, that's a 2020 thing. Do you remember when you got your like first driver's license and the, they would put the date like eight years in advance or something when you'd have to get it renewed, and you looked at it like, man, what an old fart I'll be then? That's that's how I feel with what you're talking about with 2020. It's sort of that same thing. Like now I've been through like two different driver's license and I'm just old and middle aged. And I don't know who Lizzo is. She's apparently a big singer now. And I just don't. <laughs> she she sings about the Minnesota Vikings, you know? Yeah, she's a big Viking supporter. I didn't even know that. I mean, just when I had started to figure out Adele was a big thing. And I, I thought I was all caught up, and then there's somebody else. So this, it's hard. It's, it's no country old for old men. I, I actually turned 16 the day after, well, on January 1st of Y2K. So there were some, some, some nervous moments when that clock was getting ready to hit midnight to go into the year 2000, because if the world was going to end, I was never going to get to drive. So... It, it was a little precarious, and then everything was just fine because you know it, it wasn't a big deal. But uh, that 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 that's uh, my, my my little uh, driver's license story. So it, it worked out okay. Did your think family, about, did oh, your, go ahead. Did your family stock up for Y two K? You guys, mine was like, eh, we'll see what happens. That was sort of how we were. Yeah, my th- family didn't care. There was no con- no concern from Jim Schaefer whatsoever. <laughs> It was basically like, yeah, we'll be here tomorrow. We were here before computers. We'll be there after. Big deal. I think I think there might have been a canned good or two that that wasn't there that showed up. Maybe a bottle of water, but that that it didn't get too crazy. I was just gonna say, Brunts, if you had never, uh, you know, if, if the world had ended with Y two K, then you never would have been able to spend so much time at a West Omaha Taco Bell with your new license. That's true. That's true. That hundred and forty fourth and Center Taco Bell was well frequented. Three, three tacos and a drink for three thirty-eight. Book it. All right. Well, uh, any anything else we need to, to get way out to, of the way? Way to sell that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Taco Bell <laughs> hasn't been three thirty-eight in years. It's uh, it's sneakily expensive, and you're not getting anything just off of their dollar menu. That's uh, it's a sign of the times. It's twenty twenty. It expensive Taco Bell. Yeah, everything costs more now. That's that's the tagline for the year. Um, it's like the old I, guy podcast. Well, I mean, we are old. Everybody's in their 30s now. Brian hit a new decade. He's still the decade leader. How many decades have you been through, Brian? Uh, I was born in 81. Okay, so. Uh, technically a millennial, as we've discussed before, but shouldn't be. Um, I'm definitely not. Uh, so, yeah, what, 80, 90, fifth decade. For Same. some reason, I thought that you had you snuck into the late seventies. So my apologies there. No, I didn't. Uh... <laughs> How old do you think he is? <laughs> well, I mean, he's like right there at forty, you know. Watergate was going on when my uh, when I was birthed. At Methodist. <laughs> no, it was a Reagan era. All right. Well, uh, let's let's try to bring this to Nebraska football, if we can. The, the most interesting news that has happened in 2020 is that Nebraska football will be looking for a new outside linebackers coach, or at least a new coach in general, as well as probably somebody to handle special teams. What, what do you make of Javon DeWitt's decision uh, to, to head to North Carolina, and where do you think that leaves Nebraska? We'll start with you, Brian. Uh, I, would, I guess I wasn't shocked. Um, you know, first off, I've... I'm happy Javon DeWitt was able to get back to coaching last fall after everything he had been through with the with the cancer treatments uh, 
you know, regarding his throat cancer. And to recover from that was a major accomplishment. I, I always sensed in talking to him, he never flat out said this, but he had kind of a connection um, when he went down and worked at UCF to more of the, the southern states. And I always kind of wondered if he was one of those guys who would maybe head back that direction a little bit at some point. Um, and, you know, for him, it's a ch chance to start fresh after everything. And honestly, for Nebraska, the same thing. Uh, it wasn't obviously all Javon DeWitt's doing, but special teams and outside backers are two areas where if you're being candid, you would say Nebraska hasn't been at the top of their game necessarily. And so um, here's an opportunity to uh, make a fresh hire and uh, try to kind of uh, renew a little something there. Brunch? I was I wasn't really surprised by it. I mean, I, towards the end of last season, he'd had some issues with the cold and, and weather and things like that. Um, you know, based off of his treatments, and it seemed like, you know, he, like Brian said, I think he was always kind of a guy that um, you know his compass was pointed a little bit more towards. Uh, the southeast and Florida, and um, you know, I I think you know that that was probably more of you know what was going on there. It it, it kind of brings into the equation though a, a fascinating you know option for Scott Frost for how a you want to deal with uh, outside linebackers personnel wise, but you know special teams is a big one to me. I mean, do you uh, you know find a guy that you know has that background? Do you kind of get more involved with it as the head coach. I mean, I, I think you have to look at the way that things were handled there, not only from a coaching standpoint, but we can kind of get into this too. I, I thought personnel-wise, Nebraska did itself a pretty big disservice by uh, staffing the special teams the way that they did last season. Um, it, it really just kind of felt like it was uh, guys kind of putting in their four games uh, rather than you know really kind of prioritizing it. So, uh, I, I think the move creates an opportunity uh, for, for the staff to really get better in an area that, frankly, I, I think cost them uh, at least one game last season. So that, that I, I, it'll be interesting to see where they go, but also kind of how they divvy up duties within the staff uh, to make up for his loss as well. Yeah, there's no reason to really kind of dance around it. Mike Dawson is a name that everybody is immediately sort of associated with this opening because he went to the New York Giants after one year with Nebraska after spending several years with Eric Shenander, both with the Eagles and then at UCF and then at Nebraska. What do you guys make of, of the possible candidates there? Do you think it starts and stops with Mike Dawson? Do you think Nebraska has to approach this kind of like they did with Tony Tuioti, where it's a pretty wide open search. How, how do you envision this thing going? I, I don't want to put you on the spot as to whether it's definitely Mike Dawson or not, but if you kind of had to guess as to, to where you see this thing going, what, what do you guys think at this point, Brunt? Well, I, I think for a lot of reasons, Dawson makes sense. And like you said, that's a name that you know, we, we've been hearing, uh, you know, pretty much since that news happened, um, you know, the timing of it kind of makes sense for him uh, to potentially come back. He has special teams experience. He has coached outside linebackers. Uh, he's recruited uh, guys that are on this roster now. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the, if you're kind of horse racing it, that, that's probably the favorite right now. But, um, you know, even if, it is him. I still wonder, you know, does he kind of get carte blanche with, with special teams? Cause I, I just think you, you need more help there uh, in terms of just kind of how you approach it, decision-making all that stuff. So uh, I, I think he makes sense uh, on paper for sure, but there would still be a lot of questions for me if he were indeed the guy that gets brought back. Yeah. I, I think he could be the favorite too, but I, I really do like the idea of somebody who's fully involved with special teams. And th that could even be a guy like Mike Dawson. He did that. He's done that before in his career. And it's a huge job. Um, Eric Janander, you know, could handle outside linebackers or you could, you could divvy up this, the, what the defensive staff and, and with what, who you've got and handle that side of the ball and have someone fully devoted to special teams. I just think it's such a big job. Now it's kind of what Bruns was talking about with the freshman kids 
and deciding, okay, this guy's going to play in two games as a in September, and then this guy's going to play in two games in October, and we'll do this. You got They're mapping out all this stuff now with that redshirt rule to get these guys on the field on special teams, and I think you've got to be careful with that going forward. Um, that that's not hindering your consistency there, and you know the chemistry that you're trying to develop in that phase of the game. So. That's going to be the biggest um, obstacle for me, I think, for whoever the new hire is, if he's working with special teams, is how do you work around this redshirt rule or how do you use it uh, without it hurting your squad? Because this has been one of the surprise kind of layers to that rule that I think we're seeing is special teams and maybe in some cases Nebraska has suffered a little bit from it. Yeah, it, 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 Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brown. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, to your point, I mean, it, it's not as though Nebraska is lacking bodies. I mean, you've got, you know, 160 guys on the roster. It feels like, you know, if, if you wanted to have guys that were just primarily special teams guys, I mean, you, you've got, you know, veteran guys who are defensive backs, linebackers uh, that can fill those roles. And I, I think in some ways Nebraska kind of tried to outsmart themselves a little bit with the way they approached it last season. Well, and I think I, I heard this somewhere. I'd have to go back and look at the the absolute film to count it up. But the kickoff return for a touchdown that Iowa had, even if it wasn't supposed to be a long kick, Nebraska was basically still using, I think, seven walk-ons on mm-hmm. that play. And so I, I think that kind of speaks to Brunson's point where they tried to split that gap perfectly where they got enough guys in to get their four games, but they probably didn't have enough depth personnel-wise to, to play other people. I mean, there's guys on that team that they didn't want to see the field, regardless of whether it was uh, special teams or anything else. And so, you know, you have some people that were just taking up spots that I don't think will be with us, uh, you know, after the spring. So we'll we'll see what happens there. My My only pushback on this is that special teams has been a – uh, problem for Nebraska pretty much every year I've covered this team, save for 2014. And they had essentially their director of ops, Jeff Jamrog, running their special teams. I mean, so it's, it's more of a, a commentary on the idea that I think they could have an analyst handle that role or a quality control person and still get a lot out of it while utilizing maybe that additional coaching spot to attack something else and to me I think they have to go get someone that's a good recruiter and I don't I mean I think Mike Dawson does well he obviously helped with Ty uh, you know with with Ty Robinson and um, he helped with Ramir Johnson and getting him in the northeast but I just I think it's an opportunity to to remake your staff a little bit I think Eric Shenander already does a lot with the outside linebackers or did certainly in, in the absence of Javon DeWitt last spring and then even with DeWitt there in the fall. I just I like the idea of going and getting someone that can really help you on the recruiting trail. And maybe they can also help you in special teams too. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious what they end up doing here. I think the easy answer is Mike Dawson. But we saw last year that Scott Frost put some time into replacing Mike Dawson, went out and found Tony Tuioti, who I think did a nice job and, and was a little bit, maybe unsung from people, didn't tear it up on the recruiting trail, but I, I think he did a very nice job with his unit. And I actually think the defensive line is going to be really interesting next year with some of those young guys that are coming along. Well, the talk, too, when, when Mike Dawson left, remember the big talk was that he wanted to go back to the NFL in part because of the pension plan. And I really wondered if he was sort of just one of those guys and there's nothing wrong with this who just like being an NFL guy you know some some coaches they just sort of prefer that style or that that type of game and I wondered if that's the case with him so I mean if he has another option pop up somewhere else in the league um, you know I wonder if he'd be hard-pressed not to take that as well so you gotta you gotta look at it from that vantage point one other thing on special teams just to show it sometimes felt like a dumpster fire, but I want to be fair about it. They actually, I was looking at the numbers when I wrote something up last week, and actually covering punts, they only allowed 25-yard punt return, 25 yards in punt returns. Um, and then in kick return yardage allowed, they gave up 20.7 per return, which was like the low 60s nationally. 
So they were kind of in the middle of the FBS, basically. And that was with allowing two long ones for touchdown, which was obviously terrible. Um, but they were they were right in the meaty part of the curve, I guess. The biggest problem was the, the just not having a guy who could produce touchbacks. He only did it 21% of the time. So who... Yeah. Whatever, this whole discussion, I think whoever's coaching special teams, and Zach Crespo is a quality control guy at Nebraska who puts a lot of time and work into it and I think is a young, smart mind over there that works with special teams. They need a kicker to help them out, first and foremost. And that's going to make whoever is coaching that unit look a whole lot smarter and a lot less complaining about it around here. Yeah, I I think you really kind of hit on it because the field position – would mm-hmm. tell you one thing relative to what the actual return average was. I mean, if you're if you're giving up 20 plus yards, but they're catching the ball at the 10 or right. the 12, that it changes a little bit the dynamic of what that stat looks like. Yeah, the the field position thing was bit was big because it it really in, in the games that Nebraska lost and some of those close games. I mean, very rarely did Nebraska win uh, that that category. So there, I mean, that's kind of those sneaky yards, I guess. But, you know, you've got the the kid from Iowa Western coming in. Uh, I don't think that Nebraska's probably going to use six kickers again. Um, you know, I really think the the early injury to um, uh, Barrett Pickering really kind of threw things for a loop because, you know, you go in expecting that Pickering's going to be the guy, then all of a sudden he's hurt. Then you have uh, Dylan Jorgensen. Jorgensen all of a sudden doing significantly more work in practice than he had been, and he's hurt for that reason. And then he kind of had the same thing with uh, Lane McCallum was even fighting injuries. That was one reason why that kick against Northwestern was so low. So it kind of got downhill on him quickly. And I I think there's, you know, personnel-wise, they just have to be better there too. So maybe that'll improve as well. All right, well. We wanted to kind of roll this into uh, some outside linebacker talk. I mean, what uh, what do you guys make of that position? And what you, you lose somebody like Alex Davis that has been there a long time and is a name that everybody sort of knows. There's connotations that go with that. In Alex Davis's case, not necessarily good ones. What what do you make of this outside linebacker position and what Nebraska has for the 2020 season? I think it's a little worrisome. Um, I mean, Joe, Joe Doman is a guy I've always liked in this program. Um, last year for him, it was a career year. Uh, he had nine tackles for loss and two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. So he, he made some plays. I think there's more plays to be made by him. Um, I think he can up that a little bit more to what Luke Gifford did at that position a year before that. Uh, but it's the other side where I wonder, you know, Caleb Tanner is now in that. Let, let's see this go from being just a guy to being somebody who can really produce type of thing. He, he's got he's got to take the next step uh, this season. Garrett Nelson, uh, obviously, last year was just about getting out there and kind of learning some lessons along the way. And now he's got to be more than that. And then, you know, Jameen Graham is a guy behind the scenes that when we talk about coaches and developing, um, he's a name that comes to my mind near the top of the list. Like, let, let's see a guy like that become something and just pop out all of a sudden and m- make some plays. Um, so beyond that, uh, I worry a little bit about the depth. Somebody immediately is going to come have to come in, I think, and, and help the numbers out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, as much as you talk about I mean, it, it seems like every year we talk about, you know, is, is the pass rush going to be better? Um, you know, I, I don't know, looking at the way the roster is right now, and even with the guys coming in uh, from, from this last recruiting class, I don't know that there's necessarily an answer right away of, you know, this guy is, is going to be the difference maker. Uh, Graham is intriguing just because of his length. Uh, you know, we... we I think he's listed at 240, um, which if he's 240, I mean, that, that's, you know, bodes well for him potentially getting on the field. But uh, I, I think Nebraska is going to have to take a hard look at Blaze Gunnarsson, Nico Cooper, and Jamari Butler and, and see if, you know, they can give you something right away. I mean, especially Cooper and Gunnarsson, who I think are a little bit uh, better put together uh, and able to contribute right away. But it's, you know, Garrett Nelson's got to be ready to play. He's got to be able to 
be a little bit more uh, dialed in, I guess, with, with what he's expected to do uh, in knowing the defense and responsibilities and things like that. But that that's going to be, again, a group that, that's going to have a lot of question marks around it going into this, and certainly into the spring and then in the next season, too. Yeah, I mean, it's go time for Caleb Tanner. This is year three. This is uh, the second spring. This is everything that you were brought in. This is when it's time to to be the four-star pass-rushing outside linebacker that he's expected to be. I mean, I think it's as simple as that to me, that this is when they need Caleb Tanner to have developed and show you what he is. And he showed flashes at times last year. It's just never been consistent. And so I don't know if that means it will be in 2020 or not, but I think you're you're riding a lot on what's going to happen with him. I know Nebraska is really excited about Nico Cooper. Uh, he didn't put up big numbers in junior college, so it, it's one of those things where you don't know how that's going to necessarily translate. Um, but I do know that there is a big excitement over there about a guy that they think they kind of maybe stole that other people missed in the Jayhawk conference, and a, a guy that has three years of play and a lot of athletic ability that just needs to be harnessed so we'll uh we'll see what happens it's such an interesting position because whoever inherits that whether it's a new coach or whether it's Eric Shenander working with it you've got some pieces but you don't have any finished products and I think that's one of the things that made it hard for Javon DeWitt is in addition to all of that in this conference you got to have the guys that can hold up against the Wisconsin's and and Iowa's just as well as they can hold up when you play Ohio State, who wants to split you up, you know, with four, four or sometimes five wide. So it's a very difficult position to coach and a difficult position to recruit. So good luck to uh, whoever Nebraska brings in there. I, I wonder, too, like as time kind of goes along, I mean, you, you mentioned Alex Davis. Um, you know, the last couple of years, Nebraska has been cycling through these guys who were recruited as defensive ends then they kind of became outside linebackers like they, they probably didn't naturally fit a 3-4 defense and I, I kind of wonder if you know the, the fact that at least you know you had the Diaco 3-4 you've had a couple re- recruiting cycles of Scott Frost uh, group if all of a sudden you're going to start to see a little bit more of, of, of guys maybe being able to get on the field earlier and not have as many growing pains because they've actually been recruited to fit the defense that Nebraska's actually running, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, it's so hard because a lot of these guys don't play outside linebacker in that sense in high school. They're either moving down from safety or they're moving back from from defensive line. And so I, I think it's, it's always going to be hard to me to see where a guy can come in directly from the recruiting ranks and step in and be that pass rusher that Nebraska fans dream of and covet. All right, well, on that somber note, uh, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk about recruiting and Randolph Kapai and what Keyshawn Green did at the All-American Bowl and Turner Corcoran. Could he be a left guard of Nebraska's future? Plus, we'll get a little basketball talk. All that and more next on the Husker 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. All right, so I want to start with Randolph Kapai because I think that this is a really big recruiting win for Nebraska. I don't think it was big in that there was a lot of mystery about where else he was considering or or the other schools. 
Uh, he really liked Nebraska right off the bat, had a great relationship with Barrett Rude, Coach Shenander, uh, Scott Frost, um, talking to his, his high school coach, Chad Statham, and it was, it was pretty apparent that Nebraska was out in front from the first time he got to campus last uh, March, I think, and then it just continued to grow from there. He gets to the spring game. He loved that. He came back for the Northwestern game. He loved that. And it gets to be, you know, the second day of the year and he's calling his high school coach and he's saying, I want to be done with this. I already know where I want to go. And so in that, Nebraska gets a six foot three, 185 pound kid that's going to continue to grow that they think will be an inside linebacker for him. He's got a similar frame to that of Keyshawn Green, who we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, Not quite the same level of athleticism in terms of pure speed, but a very, very athletic guy. I felt like this was the biggest get, not just because of recruiting ranking, but in terms of going in and closing out a guy in your region that other teams are definitely looking at and teams like LSU have already been sniffing around on. Uh, Big, big recruiting win to start off 2020 for Nebraska with Randolph Kapai. He's an intriguing guy because he's he's young for his age group and and, uh, still pretty new to football. Uh, it it feels like one of those guys that, you know, he, not a project. He's got a really high ceiling because he's already, I mean, you watch his film and he's a, a pretty uh, instinctive defender, but a guy that's already pretty good. And it feels like there's still quite a ro- uh, quite a bit of room for him to grow uh, as a player too, which I, I think that's the intriguing part of that commitment. Yeah, and He's in an area, Sioux Falls, where I remember talking to that high school coach at Washington High, where Nebraska's now got Nate Gary, the Farniox, and Kapai, and he was talking about the town and how it's almost like a 50-50 split between Nebraska and Iowa. And you talk about a school where the Huskers have gotten things done, and so far it's been pretty fruitful for them. That would that would be the school, and so uh, I think that's a big deal to have certain schools like that within the 500 mile radius where you can uh, handpick guys every two or three years. So that's a big thing. And then the other thing that sticks out to me is right now when you look at the commitments for that class of the four guys, we're talking about Kapai and Sioux Falls, uh, Teddy at Elkhorn South, and then Henry Latovsky over in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Um, you know, that's that's getting it done pretty close to home so far in this class. So that's sort of an interesting early trend there. And I also I love Henry Lotovsky. I just love his name because he he just is like an animal house guy to me. He should have been an animal house. And I know that's because the guy in that movie has a similar name. But that's my other thoughts. That's uh, anytime we can get animal house references on this show, um, you know, we're we're going to we're going to take them. Uh, here's something else about those four guys that are committed. The shortest of them, Randolph Kapai, is six foot three. I mean, this is a these are some big guys that they already have. I mean, Henry Henry Lutovsky was putting up videos today of doing squat reps of 500 pounds. You know, eight reps already. I mean, he's a big, powerful guy at six foot five, nearly six foot six. Teddy Perhoska is almost six foot nine. R.J. Sorensen, who we don't talk about a whole lot, he's down there in Florida. He's six foot four and sort of looks like a build a defensive lineman if you were just gonna, you know, create what one looks like as he's going through high school. So these they've really found some frames early in this class. And then you look at some of these other guys that they really like. I mean, Thomas Badone, who might be the hottest recruit in the country right now, picked up offers from I think Georgia, Auburn, Georgia Tech. Uh, there's one other school in there here in the last couple days, and that's coming off of already having LSU and Tennessee and Michigan and, and Nebraska, Iowa, Iowa State, yada, yada, yada. Thomas Bedone's another guy. He's got a great frame. I think he's, he's going to be, what, six foot five or right around there. Very fast. He had a terrific camp down at the uh, All-American Bowl Combine in, in San Antonio where he was a tight end MVP, and he – basically told Steve Wilfong that he loves Nebraska's offensive system for him because they split out tight ends a little bit, and that's what he does in high school. I think Nebraska has a very good chance of getting Thomas Fedone, maybe even this month. He's set to be on campus January 18th. I just think that they have an opportunity in this 2021 cycle. There's a lot of talent right around home, 
and they can lock up a fair amount of it. And that's not even saying anything about guys like Keyshawn Johnson or Keyshawn Johnson, Keegan Johnson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, no Keyshawn Johnson. Breaking, breaking news. No Keyshawn Johnson. Keegan Johnson uh, over at Bellevue West. And then you have A.J. Rollins at Creighton Prep, Avante Dickerson, a top 50 guy right here in at Omaha and Omaha West side. I mean, so there's just a lot of talent in this area and this class I think could really fill up fast, which is the exact opposite of what we saw in the 2020 cycle. Is, is this class in the region? I mean, it, I feel like we do this every year, but where does it kind of rank among the, the talent in this area since, since you've been doing this really high. And, and a large part of that is, I mean, just look next door at Iowa. You have Thomas Fedone, you have TJ Bowlers, two guys that both of them are going to get heavy ratings increases just from talking to Steve Wilfong. I mean, TJ Bowlers was outstanding down there as well in San Antonio. He's a pretty heavy lean to Wisconsin right now. I don't think anybody's uh, saying otherwise at this point, but he's also wanting to take his visits. Even if he were to commit early, he's still going to take his visits. And I don't. I wouldn't necessarily rule Nebraska out on that one. I wouldn't rule Iowa State out on that one. Uh, he's an interesting kid, so we'll see how that plays out. But you have him. You have Jeffrey uh, Bowie as well. You have um, the guys down in Missouri. You have obviously Randolph Kapai over there. You in Minnesota. You have some top linemen. Some already committed to um, uh Wisconsin, I think Riley Malman already committed to Wisconsin or Minnesota, one of those two schools. I'll have to look at it here. Over in Illinois, Nebraska has a couple guys they really like from Nazareth Academy outside of uh, Chicago. So there's there's just a lot that they like in this region. That doesn't even say anything about going south down to Kansas where there's a running back in Devin Neal. Oklahoma where they have multiple recruits that they like, including Ethan Downs and then Colin Oliver uh, and several other guys in that area. So there's there's a lot going on in the region this year, Colorado, you have Trey Zoon. So, I mean, there's, there just feels like in part, it feels like there's a lot of talent, but some of that has to do with how much work they've done already to get these guys to campus that we already know so many of their names. And I think that's why I'd be hesitant to say it's the best year, but it seems like it's the best year, but in part because they've just done a really nice job of getting in front and getting these guys to campus well before their junior year well before their junior, the second half of their junior year, I should say. Nebraska's currently sitting at four commits. How many do they have on February 1st for the 2021 class? I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up two more in the month of January. Um, maybe could be more than that. You know, we'll see. Uh, somebody like Keegan Johnson, he's visiting January 18th. I've got that kind of circled as a watch out in case this guy commits sort of thing. That's a that's an oddly specific recruiting prediction. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any like inside information, but I know that he basically really excited about that Nebraska offer. Nebraska's, I think, been pushing him a little bit. It seems to me, and they would they wouldn't admit this, but I feel like Nebraska's been a little bit more aggressive with twenty twenty one guys than they were with twenty twenty. I don't know if that's just some of the relationship stuff that they have going on. I don't know if that's just because of the. Uh, the fact that they don't want to be in a situation where they have to get as many commitments as they did and it worked out with 2020, but you don't want to bank on that every year. I just it, it feels a little bit more aggressive earlier to me than what we've seen from this staff so far. All right, so, well. That's good. Uh, that's, good. You, that's good. Good wrap up. Do you guys have any thoughts on the All-American Bowl? I didn't mention Turner Corcoran. He had a nice game. He played left guard. Talking to Steve Wilfong. He said not to make much out of that, that it's just a situation where most of those guys down there are tackles. They kind of throw it open. Corcoran volunteered to play left guard, and he played it very well. Uh, but Nebraska certainly has an opening at guard, um, not necessarily because anybody left, but because I don't think anyone has cemented themselves beyond Brendan Hymas, Cam Jurgens, and then we'll see what they end up doing with Matt Farniak. That's going to be a, an interesting group in the spring, right? To just see how that all shakes out. Like, they're, uh, of the position battles, I, I think offensive line's probably got to be towards the top. Absolutely. Well, think about all the names that are going to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's multiple back. starters, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Multiple starters that are fighting for their jobs. Guys like Michael Lynn that we've been hearing about. 
you know, somebody like Ethan Piper that they can't stop talking about. He didn't get a play much last year, but he's someone that clearly Greg Austin likes a lot. And then, oh, by the way, your number one recruit is an early enrollee, and he's going to be here this spring. And he's the kind of guy that I think would take on the opportunity of playing left guard, even if he thinks that he's going to be a tackle at some point. Yeah, the good thing is you, you're you going to come out of spring, I think, at least having a, a good sense is Corker in close, you know. Um, he'll know that Greg Austin's going to know that, that going into fall camp, and the, he's and Corcoran's going to know exactly what he has to work in, work on, and how much homework he has to do to catch up to all the other guys. So um, it, it's it's rare to me that there's a true freshman. Even last year with Bryce Benhart, I was kind of skeptical that was going to happen. Um, that he's going to get on the field right away. But in this case, it's got to be wide open between like five or six guys when we're talking about those interior spots. And uh, and he's one of them. So that it, it's, it is going to be fascinating. Keyshawn Green, did you guys uh, get a chance to watch much of it or catch highlights? I saw, I saw a little bit of it. He, uh, it, it, he's a guy that, to me, that, you know, is, is probably going to, if, if he can add some weight, I, I think he's a guy that will get past the four games right, uh, right away as a freshman. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about how much of a recruiting coup that was for Nebraska to get him to commit. And I, I, I didn't see anything in, uh, in what was written up about his you know, practices in San Antonio or what he showed in that game that would lead me to believe otherwise right now. Yeah, the stuff that stuck out to me were some of the practice updates we got. And you would see him and Corcoran show up as like top 10 guys um, from neutral observers down there who said they're, you know, they were 10 guys that were impressing or whatever. The game itself for fans who tuned in because of the positions they play, I think it's hard for those guys to sometimes jump off the page in an all star game because it's kind of it's kind of a skill position uh, game in some ways, so it's more exciting when like a Wandale Robinson is involved and he can make a spin move and have a 40-yard play that everybody can write about and you know point to. Uh, so it's different with Corcoran and Green in this case, but I think what you, you take heart in hearing from guys who are good analysts in our business say, yeah, they're legit, and the way they're holding up against top-level guys is pretty impressive. What I loved about Green is the speed was real. I mean, you could you could see it on that field. And I know that's going against other high school guys, but the instincts were clearly good, and he put himself in the right position. I mean, with two and a half tackles for loss, uh, one of them being a sack. I mean, you could see that speed. You could see the offensive lineman that had to go against him sometimes struggle because you'd have to get to that second level, and he was already by you. So uh, one of the big things to me about this 2020 class is I think Nebraska improved their defensive athleticism. And Keyshawn Green's a big part of that. What Brunt said is going to be really interesting because I don't know what weight he'll come into uh, into Lincoln in May. Um, but he's a guy that even if his first year is largely spent as a backup, a sub package, and special teams, I think he could have a pretty strong impact for you. And so I also just think he's going to be a hard guy to keep off the field. I'm really excited about Keyshawn Green. Nothing that happened down in San Antonio would have dissuaded me from that. In fact, I'm probably even a little bit more excited because, like I said, that speed was real. Like that, You got to see that in action, and that's one of those things that's always sort of nice. Uh, and then Turner Corcoran, you know, the power and, and explosiveness that he could show from a lineman really kind of gives you an example as to why he would be such a highly regarded offensive lineman in this 2020 class. So... All right, let's let's quickly transition to to basketball here. Nebraska, they stole a game. Well, I don't know if steal's the right word, but it felt like they stole a game. And they did it with their role players stepping up in big situations and with playing some solid defense. Feels like that's kind of going to be the recipe if Nebraska is going to win a few more here in Big Ten play. It was a it was an interesting game. Like Nebraska, especially when you compare the the Rutgers loss and the Iowa win, Nebraska still gave up fifty two points in the paint in both of those games. And you know Iowa going four of thirty three from three point range certainly uh, helped there. But it, the 
the recipe for this team is you have to be able to play solid defense. You have to uh, play interested defense. I mean, I think there were times against Rutgers where Nebraska was really kind of sleepwalking on defense, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're not seeing Gervais Green uh, on the floor uh, against Iowa. Was, was I think he was guilty of that. I think uh, Matej Kavas probably – uh, a little bit as well, uh, and that's why he only played five minutes against Iowa. But you know, I, I think Nebraska is starting to kind of get to a a manageable rotation. I think you have to continue to get Charlie Easley out there, if for nothing else, the fact that he's going to defend, he's going to give you a couple hustle plays, and he's going to keep the ball moving. Um, the 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 two biggest differences from that Rutgers game to that Iowa game was the the defensive intensity. And just the fact that guy, the ball was moving a lot on offense against Iowa where it wasn't against Rutgers. And I think that's why Nebraska was able to, to win that game. Yeah, some of, some of the roster moves have been interesting. Gervais Green not playing at all. Gervais Green against Rutgers uh, was minus 20, uh, the plus minus when he was on the floor. I believe Kavas was minus 13 in that game. And so uh, they obviously went back over the weekend and looked at that, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do some things different here." Uh, Charlie Easley, walk-on guy, he's gonna scrap. I mean, he's he, he's not as physically gifted as some people on the floor, but he's gonna have active hands, and he's gonna he's gonna be diving after loose balls on the on the floor, and that's the sort of thing this team at this moment needs right now. I also want to highlight Kevin Cross. I thought. Uh, he's a young guy who he, he's obviously imperfect out there, but when he was on the floor, Nebraska was plus eleven, and I he he scrapped um, and did did a lot of good things and a lot of dirty work stuff in that game. And then I mean, simply Iowa just shot their way out of it. That was a big part of it. I mean, the, Iowa did hit the couldn't throw it in the ocean from three point range. So you'll you'll take it, and you'll they're going to need nights like that to win some games in this league where teams just have off nights. Be honest with me, Brunts and BC. Neither of you ever saw Thor having a game like he did on Tuesday night. Well, I mean, no. <laughs> it's it's funny. I mean, when you compare what his, his three-point percentage was his first two seasons at Nebraska to the fact that he's shooting almost 50% from three-point range this year, I mean, that that's unbelievable. Never mind the fact that you know, he had nine rebounds. Um, you know, hit his career, tied his career high uh, in that game, and th- there were probably three or four instances where he made, you know, either an extra pass, uh, a smart defensive play. I think there was one late in the game where it seemed like Iowa had some momentum. The guy he was guarding uh, had an advantage and slipped to the basket, and and Thor just fouled him. You know, Nebraska had fouls to give. It kind of yep. felt like it really deflated Iowa's momentum a little bit. Because uh, they had to stop and reset, and I, I, the little things that he's doing that don't show up in the stat sheet have been really important for this team. I mean, as much as you know, you, you talk about guys not being where they should, the ball not moving. I mean, Thor's kind of the the antithesis of all that, and I, I think he really thrives in this kind of you know open, uh, positionless system that Fred Hoiberg wants to run. The thing that impresses me about him is that. He seems to be incredibly smart, like his, his floor IQ. And I, I noticed that late last year, he was making a lot of crisp passes. He was seeing things other people weren't. And that really kind of spurred them in their run last year when they were, you know, very shorthanded. And then this year, I mean, he just has this knack of just being in the right spot. And I think it's because he has a very strong understanding of the game. And he's really done a nice job to develop his offensive game. I mean, it was one thing when you get him on some of these backdoor cuts and he could hit some of those layups. He finishes around the rim better than anybody on this team, uh, which is a little concerning in a lot of ways. But the other thing that is just impressive is that the the three-point shooting. Like, he's stone-cold confident taking those long threes, NBA range threes, on Tuesday night. And they were perfect. Like, they were just dead on. I was I was blown away by everything that he did. He had a moment late in that game where Iowa grabbed a second-chance basket, and he just went up there and just knocked the ball straight out of the guy's hand so he couldn't, you know, he couldn't go right back up with it. And, I mean, it's just the, the little things that he does, and he's such an aggressive player. He, he feels unlike anybody I've seen Nebraska have 
in, in quite some time. I don't even know who I would compare his style of play to. He might be one of the better defenders I've seen Nebraska have, too, in terms of just getting his hand in and, and making teams make mistakes and coming up big in big moments, seemingly against Iowa each time that they play. He uh, th- There was a marker, I think it was right around the five-minute mark um, in the game, in the second half. I mean, the the confidence that he showed in those two, th- the back-to-back three-pointers that he made. I mean, you go back and, and look at where he shot those from. I mean, the first one was probably about three, four feet behind the three-point line. The, the second the first one was, one was like, from Laramie. He shot yeah. it from Laramie. When you look at the court outline with the state of Nebraska, he wasn't. I mean, it was in, incredible. It was the, the absolutely sec- incredible. The second one, he was like standing like right in front of Fred Hoiberg. I mean, that that's how deep that shot was. Um, so, I mean, that's that's kind of what you need um, is you need guys like that to step up because you, you kind of know what you're going to get from Cam Mack. Uh, and, and, you know, if you can get Thor as kind of that guy that, that just keeps the ball moving, gets the defense where it needs to be, I think that's a, a big a big thing for this team. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, Cam Max celebrations, are you in or are you out on them? Uh, I'm... You know what? I'm I'm in. I'm not I'm not gonna be a party pooper. If I'm gonna be pro bat flip, which I am, I'm gonna be pro. Uh, what would you call his celebrations? There are, did, are there three guys. Arrow got, shooting. They're, they're not goggles or anything. They're arrows. Okay. Well, yeah, there's, there's assist goggles too. Oh, so he has like Fernando Rodney arrows. Yeah. He's shooting. I, I don't know how anybody on this podcast couldn't be, and everybody here loves Fernando Rodney, especially Brunts with his A's. Um, you know, so I, I enjoy the celebrations. There's people in the section that I sit in that absolutely grumble about him. I don't care. I mean, they're not a good team. He's having fun with it. He's having a good time. I think it's part of his game in all honesty. Uh, and the guy's playing really well. It does not matter to me in the slightest that he celebrates his achievements. I, I, I went back and watched the game and there was a, a point early in the game, I think, where. He hits a three-pointer uh, on the side where I was benches, and I don't think he intended to do it, but he was shooting the three-point arrow into the crowd, and it was like really close to to frame McCaffrey. Like he, he was gesturing, like it looked like he was like shooting it at McCaffrey, <laughs> even though he didn't mean to do that. But also, if you, I, I was pleasantly surprised that Frame McCaffrey got that technical foul before the first TV timeout the other night. I was not expecting that. It worked out for him, though. He got he got some calls over the next five or six minutes after he did that. And, and Nebraska missed the free throws too, so that he helped them out there. Eventually, eventually, that's going to lose him one of these games where they're gonna. It's going to look like they're going to pull pull an upset and they're they're going to blow it at the line. But I think I think it already. Ha- oh, you meant Nebraska? I thought you were talking Fran McCaffrey. He's definitely had a technical in key situations. I like though that even with the free throw problems, Nebraska kept attacking in the final couple minutes of that game. And back to Cam Mack, that driving layup he had, I think it made it like 69 to 62 with about a minute and a half left after the Thor threes. That, to me, was sort of the big blow Nebraska needed to give right there to, to kind of clinch the game. And that was an example of nobody on the floor was quick enough to keep up with him even when he was you know, even when he's dribbling the ball. And it's just fun to watch a guy who's that fast with the ball in his hands. And then I love the fact that Nebraska went over the top of the defense for the Deshaun Burke dunk 94 feet in two seconds when you're struggling from the line and you you devise something like that where you just beat them deep. Uh, Stuff like that you just got to do to close out these games when you are a team that has your share of flaws. All right. Any, uh, Any final thoughts? You guys want to predict Nebraska and Northwestern on Saturday? Hmm. I, uh, as I said before this podcast even started, it feels like a loss just based on the way that things go for Nebraska. You win one, you lose one. You win one, you lose one. You win one, you lose one. Looks like a loss. Like, what kind of gambler bets Nebraska basketball this season? Like, I just feel like you're – you're just setting yourself up for a world of pain. Like, I bet I bet them plus five against Rutgers when I heard that Geo Baker was going to be out. That yeah. obviously didn't go very well. well I, uh, Juggernaut I, Rutgers. 
Rutgers looks really good. Like yeah. I, I know you said that sort of in jest, but they they look legitimately very very good. There, there was no jest there. I think they are uh, they're they're a, they're going to be a tough out this year. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, I mean, they they look as good as anybody in the conference, and it's a very deep conference. I'll I'll say uh, I'll say Nebraska wins it by uh, by six on Saturday. I have I have them winning seven games in the league. What do you say about that? Seven and thirteen. Too much. Uh, I mean, it's the Big Ten's so hard this year. I mean, like, I, I don't think Purdue is maybe as good as everybody thought, but I think that Nebraska, especially at home, I, I think they're going to catch some teams by surprise and beat some teams that they probably shouldn't. I think they've got Northwestern twice this year on the schedule, so I, I think sevens. You're in the ballpark there, I think. Okay, You could have a mini winning streak if they're able to beat Northwestern on the road because I like their chances against Indiana at home the following weekend. They got Ohio State in there, too. Oh, is it? I thought there was a gap between the two of them. No. Yeah, Ohio State's going to be difficult. That's on the road. <laughs> that, that's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. So maybe they get the win here and then they go loss. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be an ugly win, but but a win nonetheless for Nebraska. I think uh, I'll, I'll say a, a four-pointer on the road with the Huskers somehow hitting free throws down the stretch to ice it. You understand that BC and I won't be watching that game, right? Uh, is there something else going on that day? Yes. <laughs> something, something that you guys and Lizzo are going to be watching? <laughs> yeah, yes. so. something that's going to determine our sanity for the next 72 hours after. So you, you, in some ways, it does matter to you. I'll be, uh, I'll be sure to send you guys just annoying Nebraska basketball updates in the group text during that game. So I'll probably leave my phone somewhere where I can't reach it, so I don't tweet. I tweeted I, too much during last week. I have my phone down because, as you guys know, I stream, and so I'm like about a minute behind. Schaefer's pretty good about it. Uh, not sending me a text uh, complaining uh, in the moment because he knows I'm behind. But once in a while, he'll slip. And so I can't afford that this week. All right. I'll, I'll try, to be on my, uh, try to be on my toes with it. But like I said, I think I should just hide my phone from myself. They make any contraptions where I can put it in like some sort of lock and then I don't have it for three hours? I might do that. That might be the way to go. You should go get like a, a go to your bank and just put it in your uh, <laughs> a safety deposit box for the day. That's I wouldn't get it till what Monday. That'd be no good. That should be an invention. There should be like a little sealant that you put your phone in when your team is playing sports. Some Husker fans could use that too. Yeah. All right. Look at us. We're inventors. Patent pending. All right. Well, uh, check out the website. We've got stuff on there, everything from recruiting to basketball to football. We have – I'm rolling out some stuff on early enrollees that will be joining us, I'm told, next week. I thought class started this week, but apparently they just have vacation forever when they're a student. Grumble, grumble, grumble. But, um, yeah, we've got plenty of stuff on the website. Go check it out. We'll be back with another podcast next week.